Thanks, Andrew. What's up, guys? Good morning. Got to get everything out of my pockets. Awesome. Hey, turn to Psalm 127. I want to talk to you out of the Psalms this morning. Not something I normally do, but something that I love to do. Great. Everybody good? Awesome. Hey, uh, what I want to talk to you this morning about is I want to talk to you about living a fruitful life. And um, what I mean by living a fruitful life this morning is I, I mean, I want to talk to you about this idea that your life and my life could end up being something more than it currently is. That's the essence of fruitfulness, that, that something small could become bigger, something singular could become numerous. Uh, in fact, you and I were all given this desire on the inside, it's, it's in everyone here, but it's also in everyone in the entire world uh, to do something bigger, to do something more, the hope that maybe our life could be more significant than it currently is, that we could perhaps go from singular to something that's exponential. That thing is just in us. Now, the reason that thing is in us is because fruitfulness is just, it's almost a synonym for the kingdom. When you begin to talk about the kingdom of God, you, you, you will eventually talk about fruitfulness type of things. It's the reason why uh, even people here who maybe are not that familiar with the Bible, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's one of the ways that we even describe the work of the Spirit. It's, it's a fruit. There's something to it. It's, it, it grows. It, it's sweet. It nourishes. It's, it's not just one, but there's lots of it. Uh, not only have you heard about the fruit of the Spirit, but you've probably heard, or maybe you remember Jesus saying in the Gospel of John, if you abide in me, you'll what? You'll bear much fruit. And even in Jesus' parables, oftentimes Jesus' parables were connected to this idea of one thing becoming many. Jesus talks about a 30, a 60, and a 100-fold return. Those are just all synonyms for fruitfulness, this idea of more, this idea of a little bit becoming something bigger, and it's, it's just parked right next door to the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's in the backyard. It's, it is a, one of the main ways that we can grab a hold of the kingdom. Uh, not only that, but fruitfulness was the very first blessing that people were given. So in Genesis, in the garden, God made Adam and he, gave, he made Eve. And he brought them together and he said, Hey guys, you're blessed. Now be fruitful and multiply. Uh, so this blessing, the very first blessing, it's the most essential, the most um, fundamental, the most center of life blessing that God gives people is to be fruitful. This includes children, but it actually includes lots more than children. We can't just read the Genesis narrative there in terms of having kids. It is about having kids, but it's about more than that. It's about you being a producer, you being someone who makes something that's more. And I want to tell you something. No one in here will ever be happy until you begin to walk into this idea of kingdom fruitfulness. Until your life becomes fruitful and multiplies in some way in children and in your work and in your calling. And until you begin to do those things, you'll never be happy. Because that's what it means to be human. Not only is fruitfulness what I want to talk to you about, and not only is fruitfulness built into the kingdom, but life depends on fruitfulness. Like we can just step away from theology and away from the scripture for a moment here, and you and I both know this, that life depends on fruitfulness. It's that this, this idea that a few could come together and produce many. Um, one kernel of corn can go into the ground, and it will produce a stalk. That stalk will have two 
ears of corn, and on that ear of corn, each ear of corn will have somewhere between 600 and 1,000 kernels of corn. So from one kernel of corn can come 1,200. And how many of you understand that life depends on that happening? Like you won't have frosted flakes unless that happens. (laughs) Millions of people are going to go without breakfast unless fruitfulness occurs. One man and one woman become a family. That's the only way family can happen. One man, one woman, they become a family, and then these little kids happen. And we got just kids. They're just everywhere, right? And by the way, it's exploding here at the vineyard. (laughs) Did you guys see my wife's post on on the vineyard page this week? It's exploding at the vineyard. Um, And one side thing here. Uh, in In a few weeks, I don't know, Heather will let you know, but in a few weeks... We're going to pray for everyone who wants to have a kid and can't. We're going to have a special night and do that. Not just for people here, but for people in our community. She put that on the Vineyard page this week, and dozens of people reached out to her. Not just women here, but women from all over everywhere. Why? Because it's essential. It's a part of the kingdom. Fruitfulness. Life depends on it. Fruitfulness is also one of the ways that we recognize the kingdom. If you want to find the kingdom of heaven, one of the things that you should do is you should look for things that are growing. And this doesn't just mean things that are growing like in church. This doesn't mean just look for a growing church that's the kingdom of heaven. It means that, but it means more than that. Look for anything that's growing, and you're going to find probably God's design. Now, however, I I do want to say this. Just because something is growing doesn't necessarily automatically make it the kingdom, but it's one way to begin to get a picture on what God's doing. Because, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but cancer also grows. So we need, we, need, we need to begin to look at things, and then after we grab a hold of something, we can deal with it more critically, if that makes sense. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to come to Psalm 127 this morning, is because it gives us insight, it gives us insight into what a fruitful life really, really looks like. A couple things I want to say to you before we even read the psalm. Um, the first thing I want to say to you is, is that this little passage we're going to read this morning, it's a song. And that's so easy to overlook uh, because we just, all we, you know, the Bible is constructed like a book. It's black words on white pages, and we just tend to deal with it in that way. But this was, this piece that we're going to read this morning, this is something that's been sung for thousands of years. Um, how many of you have ever tried to memorize a piece of scripture and failed? Like all the time, right? It's like, that's really good. I want to remember that. You start writing it down or something, and then you just lose it. The, the irony is, is that you can't remember the scripture, but you can never forget that Katy Perry song you heard twice, right? <laughs> Why? Because the things that are sung just get in you at a deeper level. And this is one of those things that God preserved in the form of a song because he wants it to get in so deep. The other thing I want to say to you about Psalm 127 is this. This is a psalm that works at many levels, and we're only going to look at one level this morning, okay? Uh, this is a psalm about family. It also has a lot to say to men and fathers in particular. And we're not going to deal really with any of that. We're going to deal with fruitful life stuff, okay? So if you see some other things, they're in there, and it's true. We're just not going to deal with that, all right? Let's read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. 
Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. You might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the fruitful life? Hang on. Um, the first thing I want you to know, want, let's put up the, f- the first few verses again. First thing I want you to see this morning about this psalm is um, one thing in particular. And it is that God is building and God is watching. And by the way, these are foundational ideas. These are things that you, that you need to know, that you need to know, that you need to know. God is building and God is watching. Unless the Lord builds the house and unless the Lord watches over the city. God is building all over the world right now. I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, he, he's, it's not as though he was a creator in the past and he did some things and he made some things and then he sort of like just took the last 27 millennia off. It's that he never stopped doing things. God is a builder. That's who he is. He's building all over the world right now. He's building in your family. He's building in the church. He's building in this community. He's building in Kentucky. He's building all over the south. He's building all over the world. Not only that, but he's watching as well. This is one that we, that we don't know as, as, as well. We don't have it in our hearts as much. But we need to know this. God is watching. He is always watching. And I don't mean in that creepy Santa Claus sort of way. But I mean, I mean God is watching. And here's the thing. He's watching because he's a good father. His watching is actually a revelation that he's a father. Any fathers in here? Yeah. Watch over your families? Yeah. That's what good fathers do. Junkie fathers don't watch over their families. Good ones do. So he's got his eye on things. Now, the other thing uh, that we need to notice right here in the psalm is that God is not the only one who's building and God is not the only one who's watching. Who else is building and watching? We are. You're building. And you're watching. And so am I. In fact, this is one of the main things it means to be a person. To build and to watch. In fact, nobody has to teach you to build and nobody has to teach you to watch either. This is what building and watching means. Building means creating, making things. That's one of the fundamental things that makes a person a person. It's the very fingerprint of God. It's it's, it's that thing that's been woven into our DNA. It, it comes through human beings like an animal has instincts. You can look at any culture in the world and you can look at any culture from any time in the world and you will find cultures and people who are building things and making things. Expression and building just comes out. And the reason it comes out is because we've been fashioned by God. The other thing that you will also find out about human beings is that we're watching. We're watching over things. And this speaks to protection. This speak, we even see it in the Psalms. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards watch in vain. Why do you watch over something? Because you built it. Right? Have you ever noticed that when you build something, you instantly have an emotional connection to it? How many of you have an emotional connection to your children? And you watch over them. It's just real natural. Um, and and, and it, what's crazy is that we have emotional connections to anything that we build. Um, 
it doesn't matter what you are. Um, you can take it completely outside of the realm of what we t- typically talk about when it comes to creativity. Set it in some other context. Business. Have a man build a business, and you will find a man who watches over his business. Why? Because he made it. Right? And it has to do with, all of this is from God. So, no one had to teach us these things. It's just who we are. It's deep inside of us. There's an impulse to create, to build, to work, and to work towards fruitfulness. Now, here's what I mean when I'm talking about fruitfulness. Um, Kingdom fruitfulness is always framed within the realm of expansion and multiplication. It's, It's not just one to one. It's like one to many. And also... Kingdom fruitfulness is sweet, and, it, and it, it, it includes pleasure. How many of you have ever eaten one of those peaches that is perfectly ripe in the middle of summer? And you, you bite into it, and the juice goes down both sides of your mouth. Yeah, there's something about fruit that is sweet and brings pleasure. But how many of you also understand that fruitfulness is not only sweetness, and not only does it bring pleasure, but it nourishes and sustains you. So until you and I begin to do the thing that God has made us to do, in the way that God has made us to do it, we'll never experience the pleasure and be nourished in the way that God wants us to be nourished. Some of us, this is the crazy thing, some of us, um, we eat three or four meals every single day, and we're starving to death. And the reason you're starving to death is you haven't begun to move in the kingdom fruitfulness that God has for you. You haven't begun to produce something that's sweet, brings pleasure, and nourishes. This is, this is the essence of what God has for you and I. Now, the reason I wanted to center here on this psalm uh, this morning is because here at the Vineyard, uh, we make a big deal out of this reality. Uh, we, we believe that... Um, that what it means to be a real living and breathing person is to be a creative person. Uh, we believe here at the Vineyard that dreaming with, we believe in dreaming with God because we believe that God is a dreamer. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we believe in creating because we believe that God is a creator. And here at the Vineyard, we believe in building because we believe that God is a builder and that he is currently building. Um, in addition to building, uh, we're also watchers, which speaks to protection. We watch over and we protect the things that we've built Again, that's another trait that you and I don't have to learn. It just comes naturally. Anyone who builds is also a watcher and a protector. Uh, At my house, my second son loves Legos. So he builds these massive Lego things. Guess what happens when another one of his brothers or sisters comes in and kicks his Legos? We have problems, right? He watches, and then there's people fighting. He protects what he builds. How many of you understand uh, that little tiny bear cubs are so sweet and cuddly right up to the moment that the mama bear comes out and mauls you to death? (laughs) Why? Because she's watching, right? (laughs) And that's the father of God. That's the father heart of God is to protect the fruit. You don't have to teach people. We just know it. And Psalm 27 offers some insight to people, you and I, who have these inclinations and these instincts toward building and watching. It offers some insight. And the insight that Psalm 127 offers us comes in the form of a warning. And by the way, when the Bible offers us insight in the form of a warning, the only people who can hear are the humble. This is the hardest thing to hear. In the whole Bible, these are the hardest kinds of words to hear. They're the ones that will save your life, but they're... 
you've you got to be a humble heart to receive it. So this is what Psalm 20, 127 says. Unless the Lord builds, all of our labor is meaningless. Let me say that a different way. It's possible for you to build. And it's possible for me to watch. It's possible for you to live out of your natural, God-given instincts. And it's possible for me to live out of my natural, God-given instincts. And for it to be meaningless. That's not something you hear at church often. (laughs) It's actually possible to do the thing that you were created to do and in the end, it ended up being meaningless. What I believe is, I believe that God is asking us as a church to embrace our God-given instincts to build and to watch and to add to it awareness. Nowhere in this psalm will you see God asking anyone to give up their, in, their inclination to build or to watch. He's asking us to add an awareness. Here's what I mean. It's interesting to me that Psalm 127 doesn't begin by saying that unless God gives permission, your labor is in vain. See, a lot of us live, we live like this when it comes to what we do, our life calling, our dream, dreaming with God, the vision that we have, working on something huge. We live as though, as long as I have permission from God, then it will be meaningful. That is not what the scripture says. It's also interesting to me that the scripture does not say, if God helps, then your labor will be meaningful. Sometimes I'm tempted to believe that as long as I can get permission from God... As long as he doesn't tell me no, and as long as I can maybe get him to help me a little bit, then I'm on the right path. Neither of those are correct. The scripture is actually really clear here. It says, unless the Lord builds, your labor is in vain. Here's why. Because God's work is the only work that's going to last. Now, I want you to hold that thought in your head because we're going to have to pull two thoughts together this morning that want to run away from one another, but the kingdom is in being able to hold these two thoughts together like this. So in one, in one hand and on one side of your brain, I want you to know and I want you to hold into, into your mind that God's work is the work that lasts and His building is the building that's meaningful. And on the other, on the other side... Because that's true, I want you to reach out and I want you to grab this. Because God is building in the world and because his work lasts, that doesn't mean that you and I just put our feet up. So the temptation is, once we come to this place of, okay, I see this. God's the one who has to build the house, otherwise nothing matters. Okay, God, build the house. I'm checking out, right? What I want you to do is I want you to pull them together. God is building but it doesn't necessarily mean I just put my feet up. Can we hold those two together? This is, whenever you do this, anytime you do this, whenever you pull these two things together, whenever you feel that kingdom tension, 
that's when you begin to touch mystery and that's when you begin to enter the kingdom in a new way. See, we shouldn't repress our, our building instincts. Rather, we should embrace them while not losing our awareness of God. That's actually what this psalm is about. It's about embracing your building instincts without losing your awareness of God. So how do we do that? The first thing we do is just very simple. We've talked about it just a little bit. We need to acknowledge that God is building in the world. See, a lot of times it's really easy for us to believe that God is sitting in heaven. He created something, and now if anything's going to happen, it's up to me and you. And that's simply not true. God is building in the world. He's building everywhere. Like, He's building right out where I live. He's building in Roachville Road. He's doing all kinds of stuff out there. He's building in town. He's building in the places that you work. He's building in our schools. He's building in this region. He's building in Florida. He's building in Montana, up in the mountains where hardly anyone lives. God's at work. And the first way that we begin to enter into this kind of kingdom fruitfulness is to simply acknowledge that God is building in the world right now and that God is watching. He's the one who's protecting And this has to do with developing an awareness of His presence in life and not just at church. Can you see that? See, a lot of times we can develop an awareness of God's presence at church. I mean, if you couldn't tell that God was here during worship, you have problems. Right? Like, we began to sing the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Like, the love of the Father came into the room. Wow. When we began to sing, Thou my true Father, and I thy true Son, I thought I was going to die. Did anyone else in here? Like It just landed on the room. The love of the Father landed on the room. That's really, really good. However, however, what is required is that we have an awareness of that very same presence, not just here, but everywhere. It's to acknowledge that God is building. The second thing we need to do is that we need to acknowledge that somehow when God builds, it looks an awful lot like I'm building. And when I build, it looks a awful lot like he's at work. Does that make sense? We'll get there. It will. This is the crazy part. God is building, and you and I are building. And if we, if we begin to build with an awareness of him, it's his work. This is what the psalm is telling us. It'll be a little more clear here in just a moment. Here's why. When we become aware of God, not just at church and not just during worship, but we become aware of God the rest of the week in our lives, one of the natural byproducts of an ongoing awareness of God is peace. And the natural byproduct of peace is rest. What God is asking us to do here in Psalm 127 is to work without anxiety and to build without worry and to watch without nervousness. Uh, It's interesting to me, uh, John 14. uh, It's one of my favorite passages in the scripture. John 14 is where Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, it's been great. I'm going to leave the planet. Don't worry. I'm going to send the spirit. And in the process of telling him he's going to, them that he's going to leave the the planet and give them the spirit he says to them my peace i give to you i leave you my peace y'all remember that yeah so jesus is saying i'm leaving but i'm going to send you a new presence 
And in the context of talking about a new, indwelling, filling, surrounding presence, he says, I give you my peace. What's the point? The presence of God is always connected to the peace of God. Always, always, always. See, peace is an outgrowth of his presence. Anxiety is not a sign of the kingdom. Furthermore, anything built, created, or labored for in anxiety is not the Father's work. Worry offers zero protection. And instead of sweet, nourishing fruit, we are left with the bread of anxious toil. That's what the scripture says. Let's read it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, the, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. But he gives sleep to those he loves. What does it mean when the scripture says, you're getting up early and you're staying up late and you are working for food to eat? My, my translation actually says, you're toiling for the, for the bread of bitter tears. What does that mean? What it really means is, is this, is that we've taken on God's job and we have begun to believe that it's all up to me. Anybody in the room ever worked believing that it was all up to you? One of the signs that you're working believing that it's all up to you is you're getting up extra early and you're staying up extra late and you're beginning to worry. You're not just beginning to work, but you're beginning to worry. See, God is not saying don't work. He's saying you should worry without, you should work without anxiety and you should work without worry and you should watch without nervousness. Why? Because to the extent that we begin to work with worry, labor with anxiety and watch with nervousness is the extent to which you and I believe that it's up to me. And when we believe that it's up to me, it's not the Father's work. Anxiety is never, ever, ever the Father's work. Yeah, I love verse 2 in mine. It says, It's vain for you to rise up early and to go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved Anybody ever had a anybody in the room ever had a loaf of anxious toil? Anybody in here choking on one of those now? Well, here's the good news and the bad news. Bad news first. If you're choking on anxious toil, it's not the father's work. The good news is you can spit it out. He won't even make you spit it in a napkin. You can just spit it on the floor. Laboring in, re- laboring in rest is what God's calling us to. And laboring in rest is grace received by faith. It's God's work. I'm not worried. He's got it. Yet I'm responding and giving my life. Um, yet most of us end up going in one of two extremes. Either we do number one and we live with this, this mindset that I've got to do it all. And the outgrowth of I've got to do it all is anxiety, fear. At the beginning it's just anxiety and fear. But then that quickly becomes suspicion, territorialism, absolute lack of trust, and finally cynicism. Anybody in here cynical? You can trace it almost always right back up the ladder to this. Cynicism comes from, it's up to me. And finally, you get so tired of dealing with people and trying to control people that you just become cynical about life. 
Some of us have, are actually beginning to take steps in walking out our God dream. But we're, we're walking it out with a heart that believes that it's all up to us. And we've become anxious, fearful, freaked out, cynical people. And the people on our team actually hate us now. Some of, some of the people, there's probably people in this room who have teams of people underneath them and you're actually doing some things that, that God has actually called you to do, but because you're doing it not from a place of rest, the people that you're trying to lead, they don't like you anymore. The reason they don't like you anymore is because you're trying to control them. So on one hand, we feel like we have to do it all. And then on the other hand, some of us in the room believe, well, God's done it all. I'm just going to put my feet up, which is cool. That's cool. It's cool for a little while, and then eventually what ends up happening is you, you start coasting. And coasting is fine so long as you have momentum, but eventually momentum slows down because gravity is real, and you get a dull heart. And then after you get a dull heart, you get no vision. And in a few years of coasting, you end up with no vision, and everyone is doing things, and they're excited, and you're sitting at home, and you're bored, and you're like, what's up? And the next thing you know, you're cynical. The irony is, is both extremes lead you to a form of cynicism. And we begin to miss the point that there is an aspect of the kingdom which is progressive. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the kingdom is mostly progressive. I know in charismatic churches that you've been taught that the kingdom is instantaneous. Really, it's not. It's mostly progressive. It's mostly progressive. Uh, that, that for the kingdom to come, it's going to end up taking longer than you thought, and there, is, there are aspects of God's promise over your life that you're never going to see. Now, that's the thing that most pastors will never tell you, but I need to tell you today because we've got to get it in the truth. Um, God is promising people all over this room all sorts of things. He's giving dreams, He's giving visions, and He's inviting you into seeing life from a perspective you never thought. And here's part of the word. Uh, he is giving you dreams, visions, and He is inviting you into promises that you will only see in part. Y'all remember that Abraham guy? Abraham, you're going to be the father of all kinds of kids. Like, you can't even count them. Go look at the stars, Abraham. Consider the, the sand on the shore. And Abraham saw a couple sons. Why? What am I getting to? The point here is that there is an aspect of the kingdom which is multi-generational, which is why we need to have a heart that is bent toward kingdom fruitfulness planted in us that doesn't get disappointed when the biggest thing that God told us doesn't happen in five minutes. Or maybe we don't even see all of it. We have to begin to live multi-generationally. There is a progressive nature to the kingdom. For instance, Jesus says that in the kingdom of heaven, that the smallest seed in the garden becomes the biggest tree. That's, how, how many of you understand that's progressive? Tiny, tiny seed, big tree. And what's funny is when God comes to you, he always talks about the big tree. And what you're left with is the tiny seed. You hold it in your hand. You're like, this isn't worth anything. You just throw it over your back shoulder and it lands in the dirt and you walk off and leave it. And in a few years, you've got this giant tree and you don't even know that it was yours. We've got to get the kingdom heart of fruitfulness in us and we need to learn how to embrace what God is doing without saying, I have to do it all, or God's done it all, and I'm just going to coast and lose vision for my life. Now I want to look at verse 3, because the gear shifts hard here. 
So up, up top, first two verses, we're talking about houses and builders and cities and watchmen. And then verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from Him. Let's go on. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. How many of y'all see that, that like radical shift there in language? Uh, the shift is so radical that some Bible scholars believe that Solomon wrote two Psalms and they got stuck together here. I do not. What I believe is happening here is that in typical biblical language, something really profound and really subtle is being said. In verse 3, Solomon says that children are from the Lord. Or to put it another way for this morning's context, we might say fruitfulness is from the Lord. But we all know that children don't usually come in little boxes wrapped up with a little note on them out on the front step that says, To Adam and Heather from God. Right? Most people don't come that way. We have four children. None of them came in a little golden box with a knock on the door and a note. To Adam and Heather from God. But the Bible clearly says that children are from God, right? How do children come? Well, this is how children come. (laughs) Children come from a man and a woman who make a connection in bed. At rest. See, I think God is trying to say something to us about the kind of heart that it produces fruitfulness. It It is the heart that is at rest like you are when you're in bed. I think there's something here for us this morning. It's not as though we have to go and make it all happen, but there is something that happens when the heart is at rest. Kingdom fruitfulness is the result of being at rest when you and I are actively at rest. That's such a strange way to say it. We are entering the Father's work. I want you to notice that in the first couple verses, there's... there's There's a guy who's trying to build a house, but it's in vain. And so over here, there are people who are working and they're trying to build a house. And they're really trying to build a house without God. They're trying to build a life without God. Up early, up late, and anxious. And then right underneath their noses, God is giving a home that they didn't ask for. So interesting to me. And when God gives children, they're not just some sort of benign blessing, but they're a defense. In verse 1 and 2, God says, If you try to watch over the city without an awareness of me, it's totally vain. Like it's meaningless. However, develop an awareness of me in your life. Let that rest come on your heart. And not only will you be fruitful, not only will you have children, but the guy who was worried about guarding a city now has children who are arrows in a bow. And so the father becomes a warrior. Do you see this? What's crazy here is that the person who is anxious and is working hard and trying to make things happen is actually outside of the father's work. And the person who is working at rest and in the father is a warrior. Classic biblical language of turning things Upside down. God is saying, you can stay up and you can watch the city. And without an awareness 
of Him, you're just staying up late and wearing yourself out. However, be aware of God. Begin to trust God. Go ahead. Go to sleep at night. And warriors will surround you. Arrows will surround you. Your quiver will be full. You'll have a defense for anyone at the city gate. Here's what happens when we live without an awareness of God. When we believe the lie that it's all up to me, even about prophetic words, at that moment we step out of God's kind of life and we end up filling our mouths with the bread of anxious toil, or worse, we might actually end up building Babylon. Really crazy story in Genesis chapter 11. It's about these people who wanted to get together. And they said, maybe you've heard this story. They said, you know what we should do? We should get together and we should build a tower that goes to heaven and we'll make a name for ourselves. That's a perfect picture of what Psalm 127 is talking about. It is people coming together to try to get to heaven and excluding God, cutting him out of the system, cutting him out of the system. And the crazy thing about a Babylon work in your life is that it, on the outside, to the, un, to the unaware heart, it actually looks good. Sounds good, right? Hey guys, let's all get together and let's make a connection with heaven. No, come on. Let's, you, let's make a connection with heaven, right? Sounds good. Yes, let's make a connection with heaven. Let's build a tower that reaches into the heavens and makes a name for ourselves. Not only that, but let's all do it together. Babylon work oftentimes sounds good because it sounds as though it's directed toward heaven and it has the appearance of unity. And an undiscerning heart can be deceived into a Babylon work when the whole time it is unaware of God, in fact, cutting God out of the system and it is living essentially from a place of it all depends on me. Guys, let's just do it because it all depends on us. Not only that, but if you read Genesis 11, at a, at a certain point, as these people are building this tower, God notices it. And why does God notice it? Because he's watching. <laughs> Psalm 127. He's watching and he says, you know what, let's go down and take a look at this tower. And here's the really profound thing. The most profound thing, I think, in the whole Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11 is that God actually comes down and he actually takes a look at it, and no one notices. Why does no one notice? Because it's up to me. It's up to us, guys. And when we begin to live with anxious hearts that are toiling without an awareness of the presence, eventually, we don't even know him when he walks in the room. See, unawareness of God's presence is the open door to fear and anxiety. And when you walk through the door of fear and anxiety, you will always be headed down the road to Babylon. 
which is captivity. We tend to build Babel towers out of fear and blindness. But God is building upon lines of trust and he's building upon lines of rest. There's another scripture I want to read to you this morning. It comes out of 1 Peter. I love this. As you come to him, meaning Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Here again, what do we have? We've got God and he's building. And God's kind of building has to do with people. It says that they're living stones. You ever seen a stone with legs running around? They're here. It's a totally different kind of building. And here's, here's, the, the, really, here's, the, here's the thing that we have to grab here this morning. God is building. He's building with living stones. He's building with the people who are in the room this morning. He's building with people who are not in the room this morning. And if we live and if we work and if we try so hard without any awareness of God's presence, we tend to try to control the very people that God is already working with and we tend to try to shove them into places when God is already beginning to arrange it. And we, we tend to try to manipulate things by fear and lack of trust that God is already doing. One of the, you know, God is doing all kinds of stuff in the room this morning. And no one's fear and anxiety and effort is helping. No one's. I don't have to recruit people into my God dream. That's one of the things we do when we believe that it's up to us. I've got to recruit people into my God dream. I've got to make them do my thing. No, they're living stones, and Jesus Christ is the chief stone, and the Father is arranging them because he's going to build a temple that no one has any idea, and it's going to knock their eyes out when they see it. We should let the Lord begin to just arrange things, right? We can let it, you, you can kind of let it go. Not only that, I know we've said this before, but we need to say it again. Like, Part of what God wants to do with your life is bigger than your life. Like it, it may reach out to seven or eight generations away. It, you may see it or you may not see it. You may only see the first little sprout come out of the ground. That's okay. Let's just let him, let's let him take living stones and put them where they want. Let's let him take living seeds and put it in the ground where he wants. Let, let's let him be the gardener. Amen? Amen. Okay, so f- some action for this week. Uh, some questions. Six questions. You can write them down in your notebook or you can put them on your iPhone and you can have devotion time with them this week. Number one, do I even have a vision from God? None of this makes any sense or matters at all if you don't have vision and direction from God. Like if I'm just getting up and going to the factory and doing it over and over and over and over and eating Totino's pizza and watching some Monday night football, slamming a few beers and going bass boating in the summer, redecorating the house. Do I have a vision from God at all? Number two, am I trying to make it happen? Number three, similar. 
do I feel like it's all up to me? Number four, this is how you know. Have I lost the joy? One of the ways you know that you're living in fear and anxiety is when you begin to lose the joy. That's when you know that you're living under the pressure. You got the gun right on your temple. Number five, am I moving at all? Like, am I working with the Father at all? And then number six, am I a living stone or am I just in the way? I know that's snarky. I just couldn't help it. Am I a living stone? Am I letting God move me around? Am I letting him move me around? Or am I so anxious that I'm just going to do it all myself and I'm going to go right where I think I need to go? Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you not stand up? Yeah, why don't you just sit there? And why don't you, in fact, why don't you just like, why don't you just lay back for a second? We're going to do five minutes of rest ministry. You ever done rest ministry? It's a new thing. It's a new thing. Jesus and I have been working on it this week. This is going to be the thing that takes my ministry worldwide. I'm getting a bus after this. No, I want you to lay back. Why don't you go ahead and close your eyes? We're going to do some praying. And God's going to help us. Father, we just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would give us grace to let go of the idea that it's up to me. And Father, we lay hold of the knowledge, the the knowledge of your kingdom that it really is your building. Right now, I want you to imagine that you are tucked inside of Jesus. I want you to imagine that your entire body is just getting absorbed into Jesus. I want you to see the body of Jesus, and I want you to imagine that your body is going inside of him, and you're, you're just being overtaken. Now I want you to feel the life of God rushing through your body. I want, you to, I want you to feel the blood of Jesus running through your veins. I want you to feel the energy of heaven, the energy that comes from being inside of God's beloved Son. I want you to feel the love of the Father that courses through the veins of Jesus and now runs inside of you. And I want you to let that energize you. I want you to let go of every ounce of anxiety every ounce of nervousness. I want you to let go of every thought that says you've got to do it. I want you to let go of the notion that you've got 70 years to make it happen. I want you to take on the reality that if you live forever, it doesn't matter what happens in 70 years. I want you to feel eternal life coursing through your body. You're going to live forever. And what I get done now or what I don't get done is not a determinant of what will happen in God's time.
I want you to hear the Father say, we've got eons to get this done. Can you hear him say that? It's not the booming voice either. It's the really quiet one. I want you to, I want you to look at your hand and I want you to see the tiny seed and then I want you to look up into the future and I want you to see the biggest tree in the garden. Father, we let go of all nervous energy. Father, we let go of all demonic lies and voices that come with pressure. And God, we just, we breathe in your rest. We breathe in your rest. God, I ask that you would speak to us about the things that we're to set our hand to. And God, I ask that you would give us a strategy for how we're to set our hands to those things. Father, I ask that this very life that is coursing through our bodies right now, God, that it would be a residual remaining life, God, that we would that we'd get up and we'd go out and we'd go have lunch and that we'd watch some football and then we'd go to work, but we would live aware of the life of God and that we'd live aware of your presence. God, for anyone in here who has, who has been building unto Babylon, Father, I ask that you would give them a quick path out. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.